I'd like to join with Andrew in welcoming you here today. We have visitors, and we're especially glad that you're here. Hopefully what we talk about this morning you'll find interesting and applicable from God's Word. We're not going to talk about paying taxes. Um, but we are going to talk about how do we balance life and how do we balance our priorities. If you read Matthew 22, verse 21, where we get the title of the lesson from, he said unto them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In the Gospels, in the book of John, you see this. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I shouldn't be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. You hear it from the pulpit a lot of times that we need to value the spiritual over the physical. And we read a lot of scriptures about how it's important to follow God, and that's going to be the gist of what we're talking about today. It's easy to say, value the spiritual over the physical, but practically, how do you do that? And so we're going to read some principles this morning. We're going to make some application. I'm going to call them social causes. But the principles hold true to nearly everything we do, whether it's work or how we spend our time, so that we don't get too far to one side or the other. You know, these scriptures don't mean different things. They fit in the context of God's Word. And in my lifetime, I've seen, not necessarily the church here, but religion in general, I've seen it become social, political action committees, and I've seen the church become so isolationist that we got involved in nothing. And really, what I think the Bible says is, with the right principles applied, we need to find the middle ground. We need to find moderation and balance. And we've heard this a lot. We call them judgment areas. Things that we need to take principles from Scripture and apply them to life so that we can be effective as Christians. You might call them gray areas. Sometimes gray may have a different meaning to different people, but, but here's what I mean by that. There may not be a yes or no to the question that you ask. And sometimes in gray areas, we think, well, they don't matter. But generally in these judgment areas, there's a better and a worse. May not be wrong, but there's a better and a worse. And what I want to do is give you principles, and then I want to give you some examples so that as we do applications, you can apply it to your situation in life. And here's where I think it's especially useful. It's going to be areas where the experience of someone older or maybe experience in different areas, then you can, can help you make application to your situation. I've never been a farmer, and I can use Jacob as an example because he's not here this morning, so he won't get on me. But he, he as you know, he started to farm part-time and now full-time, and he asked me things about farming that I have no idea, I have no experience in, in doing that. What I can do is use some experiences I've had and maybe he's talked to you. I know he's talked to a bunch of you. Use the experiences you've had so that he doesn't necessarily have to make the same mistakes or he can get some context in which to make his own decision. And that's, we talk a lot of times about younger people and older people spending time together, but to me that's one of the great 
great things. What I've told him when he's in a quandary trying to decide something, I said, unfortunately, the only thing that gives you experience is experience. (laughs) Now, you can share other people's experience, but some of these things you're going to learn your own. And hopefully, as we talk about the principles, we talk about some of the examples and applications, you'll be able to, to make application to yourself, whether it's at school or whether it's your job or it's some of these social causes that we're going to think about that, in my mind, have people so wrapped up, even members of the church, that we sometimes miss what our, our true mission and calling is. About the time my kids hit 17 or 18, they had asked me what to do about something, and I almost always quit giving a yes or no answer. I guess in the, when they were mad at me, they called it a sermon. When we finally got together, we had a dog named Rucker, and so every time I started speaking in concepts instead of a, of a real answer, they said I was doing a Ruckerism, and that became our inside joke. But my point in my 17 or 18-year-old child was, you know what, in a year or two, I'm not going to be telling you yes or no. And as adults, as members of the congregation, you're not going to find somebody, we may want it sometime, but you're not going to find somebody that's going to come around and say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. These principles hopefully will help you decide, and you may get an answer in I talked to Mitch about something the other day, and I didn't really give him a yes or no. I don't know if that was frustrating to him. I spoke in principle. Here's the things to consider. Here's what you need to think about short-term and long-term. And hopefully that's what we're going to do this morning and help you make some decisions in your life, give you some concepts to work with. We've had a lot of sermons about things are kind of in this vein recently. Over the last year, we had one about rebellion. You know, there weren't specifics about rebellion, but how do we get our attitude right? Making peace, bitterness, moderation. Some of these things don't have a concrete definition. There's a concept, and it's up to us to take biblical principles and apply the concept. And here's the things I'm thinking about this morning. Particularly, as I say, there's other, other things. There's a lot of talk about how am I going to educate my child. Things that have members of this congregation at different times wrapped up. That's the topic of conversation. Medicine, alternative or regular or this or that. Not to be political, but mass mandates and vaccinations and vaccinating, vaccine mandates. And let's get past what I'll call the, the COVID stuff. Hasn't been long ago that there were people here all wrapped up in gun control. Let's broaden it out even into things you might consider moral issues. Abortion, gay rights, prohibition. I'll back up some more. Not many of us lived in the era of prohibition, not even the oldest people here. But I guess since we even moved to this building, Plainview went from wet to dry, or dry to wet. And... How do we balance getting involved in all these things and the amount of effort that we spend with our mind? Because as we talk about priorities, really that's what it amounts to, isn't it? We're limited in our time, our energy, and our other resources. So many hours in the day, how are we going to spend it? It takes a certain amount of energy to accomplish everything we need to accomplish. Mentally and physically, where are we going to spend it? 
only so much money and other resources. How are we going to spend it and how do we prioritize those things? I don't think anybody doubts that these things are important to us as Christians. And here's the two sides in my lifetime that I've seen is don't get involved. It doesn't matter. God's got control anyway. Or get so wrapped up in it that I spend all my time and energy trying to convince everybody about my point of view on all these different types of things. And we can keep going on and on. These are things that if they haven't happened, they're going to happen. The debate about legalizing drugs. We see it all around us, all over the country. Even closer to home, homelessness, hunger, access to health care. You know, in my lifetime, I barely remember it, but to give you just a little historical perspective, we're all wrapped up in government mandates and the things that we're wrapped up in in the last year. But do you know that, I'll say not, some of the Gerald can probably give me a better date, from 1965 to 1970, roughly, there was a military draft. And not put in the proper context, it could have driven a wedge in the church. Because we had people with different views. We had people that thought, you needed to serve your country. We had people that were conscientious objectors who thought you didn't need to fight because of the scripture we read earlier. There were people that signed up voluntarily and worked in hospitals. There were people that didn't sign up and got drafted. There were people that didn't sign up and, and didn't get drafted. And I guess in giving you context, remember that social things and political things are temporary. They're not our main goal. They're not what we need to get wrapped up in. Did you know that in 1977 to 1980, there was farm strikes? I didn't even know it. It came up in another casual conversation, but there was a man from Plainview that was president of a movement, one of several presidents, and farmers drove their tractors to Washington, D.C. I learned that during that time, Mark Hayes farmed a, a farm out near XL, what was XL beef packing plant, that somebody pulled a gun on him because he was out plowing and should have been striking with the rest of them. You know, we think that whatever our problems and troubles are right now, we think that's the biggest thing there's ever been. But these issues have been in front of members of the church forever and ever. They were in front of the church years ago when the Bible was written. Many of you won't, won't appreciate this, but there's several teachers, people have taught the high school. I've been in groups where we sat around and complained and complained and complained about what they were doing to us. You know, I, I got a degree. They don't need to be testing me to prove that I'm a good teacher. Property rights. How many times have we got upside down about people taking our property for different reasons? Doesn't mean that we don't have recourse and we don't need to consider it, but where is our priority? Did you ever stop to think that in this country, when there was slavery, there were members of the church that owned slaves, and there were members of the church that didn't own slaves? Have you ever thought about it that in the Bible, it doesn't condemn slavery? <laughs> it tells us how to act right with slavery. In our minds, those are just givens that we shouldn't even, you know, we don't have to think about how evil is that. And social issues in general are like that. They're temporary they come and go with time, but the biblical principles that we're going to talk about don't change. They stay the same. On and on. 
women voting. I mean, there were people up in arms in the 1920s about that. Did you know that 60 years ago, I was probably, it was still going on into 1970. I remember when I was a young child, first grade, that Hispanic and black and white kids didn't go to school in the same schools. <laughs> they didn't go to church in the same churches. And there were people all up in arms about that. I'm not saying every individual thought that way. The Bible never talked about separate. But my point is there are countless over the ages social, political, moral causes that sure we need to be involved in some sort of way, but they can take over our world. They can take over our mind and they can become our identity. And we don't need to let that happen. So I want to make a differentiation between activism and being active because I think that's what we need to be. I don't think we need to be activists. I think we need to be active in society, though. And I'll try to point out the difference. It may be semantics. An activist works with other people to bring about a change in society. They want to promote, guide, or impede changes in government or business policies and influence the actions of groups or individuals. Think about strikes and boycotts and mobs and marching on capitals and that sort of thing. It's easy to get caught up in that. Even if we don't physically go to Washington, D.C., fresh on our minds is January 6th, just a few days ago, the one-year anniversary of, depending on your political affiliation, what you call that event. But what I know is that normal people, maybe not from Plainview, but you know there's people that live in Borger that are just kind of average people that are in jail for going there and participating in that because they got caught up in stuff. It's easy to get caught up in stuff and get all wound up and become an activist and think it's our job to go, in a social sense, go change the world. Try to advocate for our belief. And I'm going to talk about some principles that we need to consider as we think about how much we're involved. What I didn't put in here is what about things like school board? Over my life, and even currently, there's a number of people that are on the school board. What about Lions Club? I'm in Lions Club, several other people have been. What about other social organizations? These are also types of things, not necessarily causes, but things that we need to apply these principles to so that we don't get our, our world skewed, that our priorities don't get where they, don't, they shouldn't be. And hopefully, as we think about these things, whatever you're involved in, You'll consider these principles. It's a constant evaluation it's, as we make some application a bit later to some personal experiences I've had. It should cause us to change the way we think sometimes. And hopefully we'll be able to do that. Remember our primary, our primary responsibilities to God. I don't think anybody argues with that, would have a problem with that. In Acts 4 and verse 29, disciples were being persecuted, and here's what they prayed for. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Our principle is we need to be bold in God's word. That's one way of saying spiritual ought to outweigh physical. We need to submit to the government. Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And I highlighted the, word be, the words be subject 
all any of us have ever known is democracy, where we think every man, what, one man, one vote? My opinion is just as good as everybody else's opinion. Consider the time when this was written. It was a monarchy. Most of the time, it wasn't even a nice monarchy. You had a king who was absolute, and he did what he wanted. How he wanted, when he wanted, to who he wanted. And guess what? Submission, and I don't, I've heard this term a lot of times. Callan comes to mind. He said it. I've said it probably. Submission doesn't count until it's something you don't like. It's not submission when you're doing what, if I, you, you tell me to do what I want to do. It's submission when I've got to do something I don't like to do. For there's no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Pretty clear. Says it three different ways. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good. And you will have praise from the same. So does that mean everything that every authority decides is right and good? Well, I don't think the early Christians experienced that because guess what some of the leaders, the kings were doing? They were torturing. They were killing Christians. I don't think they thought that was good. But guess what? They got taught the same thing as we're being taught, to be in subjection to the authority. Don't get wound up. Does it mean they like to get killed? I, I would guess they probably didn't. Did they like being persecuted? They probably didn't. But what the principle tells us, we need to follow God, but we also need to balance that with being subject to the authorities. Doesn't mean we're going to like everything they do. Doesn't mean we can't avail ourselves of certain things that, the, that our government allows us to do with a vote or with uh, writing letters to our congressman. But as we talk about the judgment areas, how much time, energy, and resources do we put into these things that the Bible says, hey, here's the principle. Another principle, be careful when we compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not nearly as radical as he, she is. Oh, well, they just sit there and do nothing and ignore the world. So I, I need to be doing something. Those are the types of things I do in my mind, and a lot of times we do in our own mind, of comparing ourselves to other people. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, says that's not a, a wise thing to do. That's not a good comparison. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Here's what's easy to do. I get my circle of friends that all agree with me, and pretty soon we're all the smartest people in the world, and everybody doesn't think like us. Well, I at least have pity on them if, they're, if I don't hold them in contempt because they can't nearly be as smart as we are. It's a danger to commend ourselves among ourselves. They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Does that mean there's not value in discussing things with other Christians? It doesn't. The principle is we have to be careful. That doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it smart. And it doesn't make it follow godly principles just because we all agree and get stirred up. And by the way, we can spend so much time and energy getting stirred up about this thing that we miss our mission. All of a sudden, this physical thing that in the end may be like the, the fight over slavery in the 1860s. It's not really even a fight anymore because it's different. It's a different world. And so that's what I want us to think about, not just today, but as you go along 
the rest of your life making these kinds of decisions, these principles. And I say comparing yourselves to other people, and here's a caveat, kind of an aside to that. Remember their social norms. Uh, when I was a principal, there was always a child, and parents would come in and say, oh, they're getting bullied. And sometimes it was true, but many times here was the case. That child didn't understand social norms. He didn't understand you don't come up into a group and push a kid down because you weren't getting detention or you weren't getting to play. They didn't know how to properly come in and fit in because there's a certain amount of fitting in. So then they got ostracized in a sense because they didn't understand the social norms. You have to understand that. So you do have to see the lay of the land. And I'll, I'll, some of you that were around in 1984, I gave a lesson about sex 40 years ago. And those of you that were sitting here, remember it. And I was ostracized in a sense for many, many years because people remembered it. And it was not because the stuff was wrong, but I didn't, didn't recognize the social norms in many cases. And it offended some people. And so we have to be aware of those sorts of things. Didn't mean they weren't good, but I didn't follow the principle. <laughs> As we think about our amount of activity... And I'll apply it to school board. I'll apply it to some of these causes. Not exactly the same, but you kind of see they're all physical, temporal things. Our attitudes and actions are paramount. They're very important. Lyle's been on the school board for 15 years or a long time, and he's seen people come and go. There are people that get on school boards, and some of your parents and some of your other people are on there now. Some of you have been on school boards. Some people get on there with an axe to grind, and they've got a special agenda that somehow they're going to get this thing fixed. And you have other people that have good motives. They want to do what's best for everybody and try to make sure that things happen properly. And that's true on most of these things that we've listed up there. It's true about other things we didn't list. Here's the principle. He's talking about elders, but he's talking about attitudes in Titus 1, verse 8 and 9 that we all need to have. But hospitable a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Do you think that leaves someone who can be a militant campaigner for their thing, an activist, or someone that's out looking for their own special cause when they get involved in some of these things? When I was a, I'll say, I, probably about the time I was remembering things, the church in general had started swinging. Because I remember Bill Hayes being on the school board. I remember Jakey being on the school board and some other probably that I don't remember. But, but prior to that, it was rare for the church to get involved in anything physical or social, members of the church. And I'm not advocating for or against because I think you can do it either way. But what I want you to think about is keeping it in balance, keeping the principles that it doesn't dominate your life and it doesn't distract you from your mission. Whether it is the social issues we listed or many other things. So our attitude matters. And here's what you'll see over and over, if not in these exact words, in some form or fashion that's a synonym for these words, how our attitude ought to be. You'll see gentleness, meekness, and patience. You don't see domineering or logical even or any of the things that we value sometimes in making sure that our point's the one that, that wins. 2 Timothy 2, 
um, verse 24 and 25. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. That's a pretty broad sweeping term. Strive means to be disagreeable, stirring up trouble, always looking for a disagreement or an argument, liking that atmosphere and promoting that atmosphere. You know, as we examine ourselves and the things we're involved in, is that why we do it? Because we're trying to keep things stirred up. Sometimes you hear the word contrarian. Always looking to pick the opposite side. I've known people like that. Probably at times I've been like that in certain areas. We've got to be careful about that because the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Apt to teach. You know, when you think about getting my way across... Here, I've used this example a lot of times when I talk to people in jail. Because if, if you have control over people... They would be the ones most controlled of anybody in society, probably. You know, people can make them, but guess what? Nobody's got a gun to their head making them do anything either. It's their own attitude. And so if we're going to convince people, it's with teaching. It's not with strong arm. It's not with anything else. Being, being able to teach and be patient and be meek. Instructing those that oppose themselves. Maybe people are dead wrong in our opinion. But we need to do it with meekness and gentleness and kindness and a lot of other of those positive type adjectives that, that we find throughout Scripture. And, and this struck me, I've read this as you have this Scripture a lot of times. You know who's going to, if you want to think about it in this term, win the argument? You know, it doesn't say if I'm kind enough and meek enough and a good enough teacher that I'll convince people. The last sentence of that, it says, maybe... Per adventure, perhaps, who's going to give them repentance from their way? Not me or my argument or my logic. God is the one that gives repentance. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Very similar adjectives. Those are principles that no matter what we're doing in life, that's what we've got to try to make sure that we're feeding. That we're feeding those things, not feeding the things that bring out the opposite. And so many times, I mean, I'm no different than y'all are. I watch the news, I listen to the radio, I see something on the internet, I get involved in a conversation because I only talk to people that I agree with. <laughs> but all of these things, and pretty soon I'm convinced that the world is falling apart and keep on going down the line and what does that do to me all of a sudden now I forget my mission my energy and my time is used up on things that don't matter feed long-suffering and joy and peace and meekness as I said notice that it's God that gives repentance not us we do our part but God grants that another principle <clears throat> Pray and strive for peace. You know, the Bible tells us in the wake of persecution to pray for peace and to pray that God's Word will continue to be taught. But here's what it's easy for me to do and what I hear a lot of times. I pray that our leaders will find the error of their ways. <laughs> and maybe they are in error. But I'll say that Nero was in error when he was killing Christians too when the Bible was written that said, pray for us to have strength and courage to do what's right in the face of, of all the, the persecution that was happening. But we need to pray and strive for peace. 
1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says it in a lot of different ways. I've never really considered, I say we need to pray for people, but he gives us every angle of prayer in this scripture. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, going on behalf of them. Did you ever think about when we give an intercession for a leader? In my mind, kind of what that does is, here's a, here's a leader that doesn't go to God, we're kind of going on his behalf. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for other people. For all men. Everybody everywhere. And he talks particularly about kings and all that are in authority. And he says, pray that they'll see the error of their ways, right? (laughs) That's not what he says. Pray that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. I mean, I really try to put myself in the early Christian's place when my family members, my brothers and sisters in Christ, were getting hauled to jail. They were getting put out in a coliseum and made sport to the point of death for the population. It wasn't a football game. It was killing Christians. And Paul says, pray that we can lead a peaceable life. That's what he prayed for. It wasn't pray that Nero be struck dead and quit killing Christians. It was pray that we can live a peaceable life. And that's a principle we've got to remember. And he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's what's good. That's our definition of what good is. Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Another principle. Well, I already had a misspelling. God calls us to a freedom that's much greater than our personal freedom. As Americans, we value our independence and our freedom. We can do what we want to in general. So when people start trampling on that, we really get our feelings hurt or what we think is trampling on it. But God calls us to something even greater. He calls us to a freedom that voluntarily we do what's right and we value other people instead of ourselves. You talk about a real freedom and a real responsibility. That's much greater than a liberty that gives us the right to do what we want to do. Galatians 5 and 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only, don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Here's what I tend to do in my mind for the flesh. Well, I shouldn't go out and sin and do all these bad things. But you know what the flesh also tells us? I can do what I want to. I can trample on other people because it's my right Go down the list we had before of all these things or any other number of things. He says, don't use our freedom for those kinds of things, but through love serve one another. We've got the best opportunity. Think about folks in India. Supposedly they're a democracy. Think about what our freedom gives us that their freedom doesn't give them. We all mostly have the means, the opportunity to help people physically, to help people with the gospel, because we all have spare time. We're not working every minute of every day trying to put food on the table. We have time to do leisure activities. We have time to sit around and rest. Are we using our freedom and our liberty for the good things and the right things in service to one another? That's what our liberty should be used for. Keep our priorities right. 
Luke eleven twenty three says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who doesn't gather with me scatters. Most of us, I sure don't want to place myself in the position of a person that's a scatterer. <laughs> that's pretty bad. But what he says, if we're not in the process of helping promote the church, we're not in the, in the process of promoting Christianity, God's principles, then we are a scatterer. So we have to ask ourselves, are we busy getting all wrapped up and complaining and sending videos about the government's doing this and all this other stuff that, hey, we may not be out sinning actively, we may not be out, but remember in judgment there's always a better and a worse. Are we wasting our time doing all that stuff so that in essence we become a scatterer? <laughs> we're not gathering, so we're scattering. When our time, energy, and resources aren't directed the right way, we're a scatterer. Do you ever think about this? John, John the Baptist, didn't call for social activism. And I, this scripture's always intrigued me. Luke 3, verse 11 through 14. He answered and said to them, because they were asking what they need to do with a publican, a tax collector, who most of the time was a crook, thought on really badly, uh, nobody liked him and a soldier who was the, the boots-on-the-ground arm of the, of the Roman government that was out actively persecuting them, doing the will of the government. You know, in our minds, if, if I saw Roth and he was doing a job that was bad, I'd think, well, my job is to go tell Roth. He needs to quit that job and get some other kind of job. But notice what, what uh, Jesus says. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to one who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. So here's these rotten crooks coming to be baptized. And said to him, teacher, what shall we do? You know, here in my mind, oh, you're a crook doing a crooked job. You need to quit your job, right? That's the first thing I'm wanting them to do. But what did Jesus say? Collect no more than what's appointed to you. Be honest. Likewise, the soldiers, you know, here they are, violent people doing violent things. What shall we do? And he said to them, Don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. You know, even in a, in a place where lots of bad things were directly happening to people, he wasn't a social activist. He told them to get their principles and their priorities right. Remember that we're ambassadors. We think about that in a government sense, but an ambassador is just someone who speaks on behalf of another or represents someone of a higher authority in their place when they can't be there. Ephesians 6 and 20 is where you see that in Scripture. For, when I'm an, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We're representatives of God, Christ, the Bible, the church, of things that are spiritual. That's who we are. That's our task. And so as we get involved in other things, we've got to remember that principle so that we don't void or make negative our effect of uh, being an ambassador. And I think sometimes we forget what we have to offer. We need to remember what we have to offer. Acts 3 and 6. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And my point is that I'm not, not that I'm going to go give somebody the ability to walk that's been paralyzed, but what we have is Christianity. 
what we have is the gospel, the power of, of God's word. Think about India again. You think about, as you've watched some of these presentations, how much poverty there is, where there are people that really do live. I have seen it with my own eyes, but to hear it described, they live in grass huts. <laughs> they live in places with no roofs, that the water leaks in. They don't have running water, or they have running cold water. Just things that we, I'm not sure we could survive in that. Can we go into India and send enough money to them to fix all that? I've heard the struggle with some of the folks that organize India. There's no way to take care of all their health care needs and all of their social needs and all, their, you know, all of that stuff. What we have to offer is the gospel. What we have to offer is the saving power of God. And if we remember that, it helps us put all these things in the right place. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what we have to offer. Does it mean be separate and, and have no social awareness? But it means remember what our priorities are. And here's some other things to think about as you're putting these together. An activist versus someone who's active. Sometimes it's easy to value a cause over a person. Sometimes I think I can do that from my computer screen on Facebook versus using my interpersonal relationships with people to advocate for what's right. Sometimes I get caught up in being noticed and being in charge of something instead of just being able to do what's good for people. That's what an activist does. Someone who's active sees the need. So as you make application to yourself, are you, an act, are you active or are you an activist? The principles that we talked about, are they being carried out in the way that you're conducting yourself? Where am I putting my time, my energy, and my resources? I mean, nothing tells the truth and the real story of our priorities like our checkbook does. Or for those of you that don't know what a check is, if you pull up your online bank statement in your account, which nothing tells the truth like that does, because that's where we, what we value is where we put our money. Not me, I mean, that's just the way it is. And be objective in your evaluation. Sometimes we get so caught up in our habits that we're not doing it bad or wrong, but things just get skewed. And so find a way to be as objective as you can. It's very difficult in the moment to be objective. Ask your children especially if you've got teenage children, they'll know if you're harping on something. <laughs> or if you're a child and you're getting wound up in something, ask your parents. Time sometimes helps that. And I'm going to give you an example personally that time has given me a way different perspective than it did when I was involved in it. Where is my focus? And, and think about this. How am I being affirmed? Am I getting my affirmation because I'm getting a bunch of thumbs up on Facebook? Am I getting my affirmation because everybody says, oh, yeah, you're doing, you're doing a good job? We've got to be careful about that we get our affirmation from the right places by doing what's right. So here's my example. This is 1985. I was at school at Texas A&M, a very conservative in, this, in the scope of, of universities. And at that point in time, the gay movement was just really getting started a lot. 
on A&M's campus, there was not an official recognition of that organization. They were trying to mobilize and make an official. So there was a whole lot of hubbub going on on campus. Those for and those against. And think also what was going on around the country. It was the beginning of AIDS. People were dying with no known cure because of this sinful activity in many. And then guess what else was happening? In this congregation, there was an innocent child that got AIDS. And in my own family, I started dealing with that. And some of you have a family member that I was with, at school with at Texas A&M that was gay and died of AIDS at that time. So all of this stuff is going on. Bad deal. <laughs> Very bad. And so here's where I found myself. I kind of gathered up with the people that were protesting against allowing this thing to... Uh, get formally adopted on the A&M campus. So I found myself of what I'll call as a mob. They were saying ugly things. They were doing ugly things. Was their cause, was, was I against homosexuality? I sure was. But I got myself in a spot where I, it was not in my control, and I was in there going, what have I got myself into? But I thought I was doing right. I got caught up in it. And I see this playing over and over even among members of the church over the last year, that I'm so caught up in this thing that I miss what my real purpose is. I get caught up in a mob in a sense, fell in with these people. You know what? All the people that were caught up in bad behavior, the people that I thought needed to change their ways, the homosexual people, those participating in that, you know how many of them I ever talked to in a big group hollering ugly things at them probably? How many conversations did I have with the grandchild of our church member that was caught up in it? Zero. I was so caught up in being an activist, making sure everybody knew this was wrong, that I didn't think about his soul. What influence did I have in my own family? Very little. And so I'd isolated myself and made all these people demons when guess what? They all had a soul. And so... I'm hoping what that did, time let me see that. At the time, I didn't see it. But what I hope it, hope it does for you is that as you're thinking about what you're going to get active and stirred up about, that you value the individuals and the souls that you're influencing. I valued the cause over people. And in retrospect, I should have done things a whole lot different than that. I'll go to something more modern. Most of you know, or many of you know, that I've been in United, involved in United Way, and some of you have as well. Uh, worthy goals. Do I agree with everything they do? Probably not, but good, good organization that tries to help people. But about five or six years ago, I was very active in it, kind of going through a leadership deal. And that was also the time we were selecting elders and deacons, kind of put it in perspective. And here's what was funny. Some people, as when the, I guess Jerry and Ty kind of talked back to us, telling us what people thought and kind of trying to close the loop on some of that stuff in generic terms. Some people saw that as a real positive and being able to be a good leader and seeing what was going on around. And some people thought that was really bad <laughs> because there were some organizations they didn't agree with in there. And as I evaluated that, what I did is I modified the way I was involved. It, it was taking up way too much of my time. 
maybe it was too visible that all of a sudden I became seen as a United Way person instead of a Christian person. And so those are the kinds of things I hope that personal experience can help you as you're dealing with your own types of things. Are you an activist or are you active? Are you carrying out Christian principles? Where is your time, energy, and resources? Where are they going? Objectively, as much as you can, try to evaluate yourself. Again, time, energy, and resources. Last scripture, 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. Here's what we have to remember. Our priority is God's. That's why we started with that principle early on. And we have to be careful that we don't get so tangled up with things that don't matter that we miss the things that do matter. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Let's be active. Let's care about souls of people. Let's don't put our heads in the sand and not avail ourselves of the opportunities we have as citizens of America to be involved in certain things. But for the most, the most important thing, keep the principles that we've talked about. Remember, God is where we belong to, who we belong to, and we need to make sure that all that leads to Him and it doesn't suck up our time, energy, and resources. And I'll encourage you, if you get in a spot where you're trying to evaluate this, talk to some people that have been in those situations. It's not a right or wrong necessarily all the time, but sometimes there's a, a better or worse, as we talked about. The strength we have as a congregation is me being able to get advice and learning from other people's experiences. And the more we build our relationships, the more we strengthen and encourage each other, and ultimately the better our influence and the stronger our work can be together to accomplish our ultimate goal, which is the gospel to people that don't know the gospel. This isn't really a sermon that's calling for people to come to the front to be baptized or, or for prayers, but if you, something's in your life that you would like that, you need that, please come forward as we have our invitation song. If you want to meet sometime personally to talk about some of these things, Talk to people. That's the best way to learn. Will you come while we stand and sing?